Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I want to start today by saying thank you to all of you for a couple of things. You know, we didn't have a show yesterday, and I'm always afraid that when something like that happens, we try not to be away very much, but I'm always afraid that if we are, people don't really quite get the message of what's going on, why there's no show. We try to be as consistent as we possibly can. A lot of you are aware uh, my grandmother passed away, and I put that out on Twitter yesterday, and so many of you sent really nice condolences and nice messages to me. I really, really appreciate that. I, it really means a lot to me. I haven't had a chance to, to respond back too much yet, but I but I certainly want to and certainly want to just take this time to say thank you to everybody who has uh, reached out. I, I just appreciate that so much, and I also appreciate your patience um with me while uh while I was not here yesterday let me just say a couple of quick things on this too and we'll kind of move on and get the show started you know my grandmother 88 years old so this is one of those things where for most of her 80 plus years on live you know she's you know really very healthy and very you know really inspiring just how you know uh you know healthy and strong she was lived a big full life I mean for a long time that's you know 88 years obviously a long time last year or so been you know kind of a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of discomfort. And this is one of those things where many of you have probably experienced this in your own life. Where it's a situation where now, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you know, it's probably an answer prayer in some ways that she's not dealing with some of the pain and suffering that she'd kind of been dealing with lately. She's just really kind of gotten fatigued and gotten tired. I think she was just sort of ready to go. And so, uh, obviously in a lot of ways, you know, that's one of those sort of answer to prayers here is that, that, you know, that she's not kind of dealing with some of the pain and some of the just the just sort of general discomfort that she'd grown to deal with over the course of the last few months, last year or so. so. I'll also say this too. Um, you know, you always hear these like songs about, uh, man, we should go back in time the way things used to be, you know, back, you know, back in the day, whatever else. Well, my version of that was at her house, my, my grandfather, my gra- uh, grandmother, I call them pop and nanny. That was my version of, oh man, that, that great summer. We didn't have a care in the world or those great times when you're growing up when everything was just sort of seemingly perfect in the world because you were so young, you were so innocent. You didn't know anything else that was going on there. Like my version of that was at their house. So they were very, very close to me. Uh, she was very close to me. And so, uh, you know, I hope you obviously had a great experience of that in your own life. I certainly did when it comes to them. And so, you know, truly, sincerely, I mean, my gosh, I'm just going to miss her. And uh, my, my grandfather has been now gone for, for a good while, but I'm just going to miss them there so much. And I'll also say this here really quickly, too, which is that uh, I'm back at work today, but the funeral is tomorrow. So we are not going to have a show tomorrow. Normally in a situation like this, we kind of pre-record, but we're already pre-recording some shows because I'm going to be on vacation next week. And, oh, gosh, I'm ready for vacation. Uh, but but uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week. So we're already pre-recording some shows for that. We just don't quite have the bandwidth to do another pre-record. So tomorrow, because of the funeral, I am not going to be here. So y'all do me one quick favor, if you don't mind. Let folks know about this because... You know, not everybody, you know, watches the show or listens to the show on the same day that it airs and not everybody 
maybe hears you know every single thing that I say. So I hate the idea of people kind of wondering what's going on and not have a show on Monday, then not have a show on Wednesday. If you know people that like the show, if you know people that that you've connected with that are, that are you know kind of a part of our audience here, let them know what I've got going on. We'll be back on normal on Thursday, uh, but tomorrow because of my grandmother's funeral, I will not be here. So. Uh, y'all try to help me get the word on out on that, and then I'll do my part to do that there as well. So with all of that said, thank you once again for your patience with us b- being a little bit different, and thank you so much for all of your kind words, your messages. I just really, really appreciate that. That means truly a lot to me. Now, with that said, we'll shift gears here. We'll try to do our normal stuff here, and we're going to have some fun. There is something going on at Florida that I think you ought to be aware of, or at least the rumblings and grumblings of this going on that I think you ought to be aware of. And it's kind of amazing to think that we are here again. I was actually going back in time here today. We used to make fun of Dan Mullen on this show when he was Florida coach so much. And I was going back and like listening to some of the stuff we'd done on him in the past and just mocking him and laughing at him and whatever else. And I wanted to play some of it for you here today, but frankly, it's just some of it so long that we wouldn't have time to do anything else if we did all of that. But you remember, uh, certainly Florida fans remember, because they still kind of give me a lot of grief for that, how much we used to mock Dan Mullen on the show. And when Mullen got fired, like the one thing that you definitely knew about Florida fans was is a you know this was like you know one of a series of sort of failed head coaches for them and like the one thing you knew for a fact was they really believed we don't want to be here again anytime soon that that you know the Mullen era that once looked so promising because they won the pandemic east in 2020 and had a couple of top 10 uh you know performances on the field and seemed to be this offensive genius you know so many people seem to like so much about Dan Mullen that Mullen in a lot of ways was going to be the anti Kirby Smart he's going to be the counterbalance to Kirby Smart and try to find a way to do things a little bit different and be this thorn and smart side I mean it wasn't that long ago this was really the narrative being pushed it seems so foreign now because of how untrue that turned out to be but it was not that long ago that people were just sort of saying that all the time and ended up fizzling and ended up failing uh Mullins you know now you know I don't even know what he's doing but he's working on TV or whatever he's certainly not coaching football anymore because he crashed up against the side of the Georgia program and you know uh was was you know the Florida program Mullen himself as a coach was sort of never the same again and Gators fans in response to all that said we definitely don't want to be here again we need to make sure we get our next coach right And after one year on the job, there is some suspicion that Florida, at least possibly, may have gotten it wrong again. This is very interesting. There is a story up at ESPN.com kind of looking at, you know, various potential coaches in the hot seat and all the potential kind of, you know, change that could be afoot in the very near future when it comes to some of the coaches around college football. And one of the names that got discussed here was Florida coach uh, uh, Billy Napier now, uh, based on some of the uh, the opinions of a guy like, say, Adam Rittenberg, who's a writer there at ESPN.com. Rittenberg looking at Napier's future, and Rittenberg saying that, hey, it could be sooner rather than later that Florida could have another coach on the hot seat again, and the competition with Georgia potentially being one of the reasons why. Let me show you a, a few sentences here from Rittenberg at ESPN.com, talking about Billy Napier. You find this to be interesting. Uh, Rittenberg says, now Napier would have to really need things to go wrong not to reach year three in games. In other words, he was a first-year coach in 2022. This will be his second year coming up. And Rittenberg says, you know, he's probably going to get that third year. He did, after all, inherit a messy situation. But, Rittenberg says, Florida continues to fall behind Georgia. The Gators' other main rival, Tennessee, is finally winning big again behind a high-flying offense that Florida fans would love. 
Napier is signed through 2027, and his success is tied to athletic director Scott Strickland, who likely won't be able to hire a third football coach at Florida. But if the Gators struggle to reach bowl eligibility and can't find a good path forward on offense, uh, Rittenberg goes on to say, there will be some desire for a complete reset. Napier asked for a lot when he arrived, and Florida came through for him. Soon, he must do the same. That is Adam Rittenberg there, ESPN.com, saying if Florida doesn't start winning more, Billy Napier's job is going to be in trouble. Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland's job is going to be in trouble. And once again, the Gators might find themselves on the doorstep of having to have another complete reset. After that's what uh, Jim McElwain was supposed to be, that's what Dan Mullen was supposed to be, that's what Billy Napier was supposed to be, and Rittenberg says it's not beyond the realm of possibility that Florida may need a big reset all over again. I don't have to tell you this, if you were a Georgia fan, you love the thought of that. Because for a long time, and really when we started Gatorade Countdown, when we introduced Eddie the Blind Squirrel, the official Dog Nation daily mascot, so much of this was about Florida as a measuring stick. Well, now it's almost hard to even remember a time in which Georgia measured itself by Florida because, as Adam Rittenberg points out, Georgia's level of performance has so far exceeded what Florida brings to the table that the idea that Georgia once measured itself based on how it was doing in the Georgia-Florida rivalry, that seems crazy because Georgia has won the last two national championships. But just because the Gators are less relevant than they used to be and just because Florida is so much worse than it used to be because of how good Georgia has gotten and sort of sucked the life out of the Florida program – That doesn't mean that in college football, a sport that loves its rivalries, a sport that enjoys kicking your uh, hated foe when they're down, that doesn't mean that Georgia fans, uh, you know, don't like the uh, thought of all of this. And if you want to go back to when Mullen actually was fired uh, by Florida, you know, Kirby Smart was asked about it, and it was so funny. The answer that Kirby Smart gave to this at the time, I think, was such a contrast to what smart not kind of actually felt that, that i think smart did revel in that competition against dan mullen i do think that smart looked for the opportunity to vanquish mullen at every turn and i think that smart loved twisting the knife on some of the recruiting issues that mullen was having and and you know smart just really seemed to enjoy all of that but when he was asked right after dan mullen got fired about you know what you think about a uh, you know, a coach in the SEC that you've done battle with losing his job. Smart gave him much more measured, much calmer, much more, uh, I guess, uh, you know, sort of buttoned up answer. And it's one of those things that Smart be me maybe facing this question again sooner rather than later of getting another Florida coach cut fired. But this is what he said, uh, you know, going back a year or so ago when Mullen got the axe. Here's Kirby Smart. I think the landscape across college football is what it is. Um, the stakes have gotten higher. The the pay has gotten higher, and with that comes expectations. Um, and, you know, it's it's a, it's a different landscape now than it was even four or five years ago in terms of uh, portal, uh, recruiting, um, number of initials. Everything changes so fast, um, and so it makes it makes it tougher. And uh, it's, it's a much tougher job. And I think you've seen a lot of people in our uh, level go to the next level because it has a little less uh, strain uh, on your family and things so i know it's a tough atmosphere but most people would say they pay you so much it doesn't matter um but at the end of the day i hate it for dan because i think dan's a good person and uh and it's a tough situation but it's a profession we chose to be in and i know dan will be fine he'll be perfectly fine 
So take that same quote, pull out Dan, put in Billy Napier. You may be able to re-rack that here coming up in a year at least, or at least a year or two, based on what Adam Rittenberg's saying there at ESPN.com. But here's the point in all of this. Smart talks about the fact that, you know, so much of what makes it an issue on coaches right now is how fast things can change. And here's what I'm here to tell you, is that when it comes to the situation in the SEC, with Florida in particular, things are also about to change even faster than they ever have before and this is why if you're a Georgia fan I think you love the idea of this so much because this is not just reveling the fact that Florida is bad right now worse than they could have ever imagined at least certainly in comparison to Georgia this is not just about that sort of short-term deal this is about inflicting some long-term damage on Florida that could potentially redefine the way the program is thought of because think about this here for a moment you're talking about now a series of several failed Florida coaches year after year after year. The last Florida National Championship came in 2008. I mean, you know, the current recruits have no living memory of Florida being a good football team at all. And if Georgia could go out and beat up on Billy Napier in Florida again this year, if Florida, as Rittenberg pointed out, could struggle to even have a winning season, which I think right now sort of stands to, to reason they probably will, if all those things happen, then all of a sudden now you're talking about adding Billy Napier to the list of Florida coaches like Dan Mullen and like you know uh, Jim McElwain, who have been incredibly disappointing. And the future doesn't get any better because look what's about to happen. We're about to leave the day of divisions in the SEC. And for a long time, a school like Florida has been able to say, well, you know you got a game coming against Vanderbilt, although this past year Vanderbilt beat Florida. You know you got a game coming against Kentucky, and at one point in time Florida had like a 30-plus year winning streak against the Wildcats. You know you've got these games coming against t- teams that more often than not have sort of felt like automatic wins for you. But in the future, that's not going to be the case anymore. You'll still, every other year or so, get to play the Kentuckys and the Floridas and the teams like that, that or I should say the, the Vanderbilts, the teams that have been you know easier than not, more years than not. You'll get a chance to play them you know still, obviously, on kind of a rotational basis. But in most instances, you won't have those kind of easy, free wins baked into your schedule year after year after year. The SEC schedule by adding Texas and Oklahoma is about to, about to get tougher, not just because Texas and Oklahoma are a part of it, but because they're going to rearrange the entire SEC schedule to make it more balanced. And a team like Florida is going to be playing a lot more teams out of the SEC West they've been playing here in the past. And so if you're a Florida fan here, and there's Gator fans that listen from time to time, then you have to be very much aware of the very real possibility that as your program is eroding in terms of what it once was thought of, what it once was capable to do, you're now entering into an SEC that's going to be even tougher bef- than, than it was before, which maybe accelerates the rate at which you know Florida is just no longer a national program. So listen, there, there, there's a degree to which this topic's probably a little bit spiteful. There's a degree to which this you know is probably a little bit of reveling in somebody else's misery but that's what college football is about it's about these rivalries it's it's, it's about things like that and if you're a Georgia fan there has never been a better time to be a fan not just because of how good you are but how bad a lot of your hated rivals have been including as we say around here those lousy stinking gators it has been bad for Florida Georgia this season has a chance to make it worse and eventually Billy Napier could be added to the list of other failed Florida coaches like Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen who did their best to go head-to-head with Kirby Smart and ended up on the unemployment line for their efforts. 
My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that uh, on video across all the platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, course radio at noon on Athens sports radio 96 the ref as a podcast wherever you find them including the world famous dognation.com we are happy to have you tuning in on our program here today big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia making it all possible you know longtime friends of ours here on dog nation daily i love recommending them because i know the kind of work they do for a lot of folks in our audience homeowners you love your home it's the place you have your deepest emotional connection and a lot of situation it also represents your most significant financial investment there as well you want to protect it and one of the greatest threats to the structural integrity of that home that you live in water creeping in where it's not supposed to be foundation settling to create those cracks that obviously kind of throw the whole thing into a uh, potential chaos there that is what engineered solutions of georgia uh, wants to be known for for you they want to deal with your foundation issues they want to deal with your waterproofing issues they have got an entire team of engineers on staff and there is nobody else in our market that can say they have that level of resource dedicated to solving your foundation your waterproofing issues than our friends at engineered solutions of georgia that is what they are all about they're also proud partners of uga which makes it really fun to do business with them great to do business with uh with with someone who who just you know uh sports uga and, and does all that that's what engineered solutions of georgia is all about great uh, friends of ours here dog nation daily there as well if it's a simple fix they want to just give you that simple solution to your problem but as a bigger pr- problem and sometimes when it comes to foundation stuff the waterproofing stuff it can be if it's a bigger problem they want to do that for you too so give them a call 678 esog now that is 678 esog now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of georgia if you've got a waterproofing issue if you see water where it's not supposed to be we've had a lot of rain this winter so you've had plenty of chance to notice that if you see water where it's not supposed to be or you see those cracks in the wall or maybe down there in the concrete floor in the basement whatever else if you're noticing that kind of stuff it is time to get that scene about our friends at engineered solutions of georgia can help you on that uh six seven eight esog now that's the phone number to dial six seven eight esog now all right quick reminder as we said before no show tomorrow. I have to step away from work, and I apologize for that. But we're going to work really hard to give you a great series of shows coming up after that, including live on Thursday, then some pre-recorded stuff as I'm on vacation, and then, of course, all throughout the spring here leading up to the start of spring practice. So we're looking forward to all of that. Also, speaking of cruise vacations and fun stuff like that, coming up here in a couple of minutes' time, we're also going to give the winner where I announced that of our cruise uh, uh, vacation giveaway courtesy of Kroger. We'll do that here coming up in a couple of minutes. It's Jake Fromm on today's show. We're excited about that. It's Connor Riley coming up here in a minute there as well. Prior to that, though, let me go around the doghouse. And, you know, I was watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, and many of you are aware, I don't make any bones about this, I am nowhere near as big an NFL fan as I am a college fan. I like to watch the pro game. Uh, you know, I try to you, on the Red Zone channel. They always call it the glitching hour. You know, around 3 p.m. or so, when a lot of those games come to a close, you have these exciting finishes. I try to be settled in on a Sunday, kind of in time for that witching hour to see a lot of these, you know, good conclusions to the series of games. Obviously, follow the playoffs. You know, uh, you know, clearly watch the Super Bowl, but I don't have nearly the emotional investment in the NFL that I that I do in college football. But I do try to follow the league and watching the build up to the super bowl in the game itself 
The one conclusion I sort of drew from this, and, and, and those of you who truly follow the NFL very closely, you may feel a little bit different about this than I do. But the one conclusion I sort of uh, you know drew from this is, is that to me, Kansas City, the team that won, Philadelphia, the team that uh, fell just short, in a lot of ways to me, they sort of represent what I sort of think of as the two archetypes for how you can be successful in the NFL right now. That you can be like Kansas City or you can be like Philadelphia. What I mean by that is, is if you're the Chiefs, you've got your franchise quarterback in the case of Patrick Mahomes, one of the, you know, I would say greats of all time. You pay him huge dollars and you kind of build your entire organization around Patrick Mahomes. If you had Mahomes, of course, you'd want to do that. Um, that's kind of one way in which you can be a very good NFL team. You should have the great quarterback, spend big on him, build your entire team around him. The drawback to that is if you've got more quarterback, you are going to have less resources to devote to other spots in the field, especially in a salary cap league, which sort of opens the door for a team like Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. He's had a very good season, but Hurts is also one of these non-first-round picks who's kind of still in a rookie deal, does not cost the Eagles a ton of money. And when you're cheaper at quarterback, still effective at quarterback, but when you're cheaper at quarterback, that gives you more resources to put in other places. You can put some on defense. You can put some along your offensive line. You can run the football a little bit better. You can kind of create that balance and the depth with roster because you're not paying nearly as much for your quarterback as a team like Kansas City is for his. Now, I'd say Jalen Hurts is nowhere near the quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is, but in a salary cap league, getting effective play at quarterback at a discount on a bargain creates opportunities for players at other positions. Now, what I find to be interesting about this is, is that up until now, college football has not really kind of had the same sort of salary structure or the idea of a salary cap necessarily, but it sort of seems like football has worked the same way. And this is not new ground for us. We've talked about this plenty. Is that there are teams in college football that are seemingly built like the Kansas City Chiefs. Alabama has been that with Bryce Young. Uh, Ohio State, I would say, has sort of felt like that with C.J. Stroud and a lot of quarterbacks prior to that, where you've got the college version of the franchise quarterback, but for some reason, having more at quarterback even without the appearance of a salary cap necessarily, uh, has sort of created less at other places. Alabama's become, I would say, less effective as a defensive program with the rise of its quarterback play and the rise of its wide receiver play. I think Ohio State was pretty good and, and certainly pretty balanced in most spots, but over the course of the last few years, the embrace of Ryan Day style and the quarterbacks that help run that, the wide receivers that help power all of that, has seemingly led, you know, led to less success running the football, less dominance along the offensive line, less um, – of a defensive presence than maybe what the best Ohio State teams of the past would have been. And it's sometimes sort of hard to describe exactly why that is true, but to our own eyes, we sort of see that be true. Whereas Georgia, to me, has sort of felt like a little bit more like the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, in the case of Georgia, they've won the last two championships, and Philadelphia sort of fell a little bit short of that. But nonetheless, there's this sort of feeling here that, hey, you know, Georgia as a quarterback, you know, it's been said some in the last couple of years, who knows who it's going to be in the future. You know, not necessarily the forefront, not necessarily the face of the organization. Good quarterback play. You have to have effective quarterback play to be successful. But ultimately, for a team like Georgia, quarterback is just one of the positions on the field. And Georgia's kind of created a level of balance across both sides of the ball, all 11 guys in the field that to me kind of, you know, resembles a little bit more about what, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, have kind of looked like. Now, my point in saying all of this is to simply say this. If that has seemed true in college football for teams like Georgia or maybe the, the, the opposite, teams like Alabama and Ohio State, 
if that has seemed true in the past, there may be a tangible reality where that gets even more actually true in the future. Because as we've said, you know, historically, college football has not really been a league where you kind of think of the players being paid, whether they were or they weren't. It has not really been a league where you have thought of that necessarily being a thing. But obviously, in the NIL age in which we live in now and the way in which NIL is likely to evolve in the future, this is going to be more of a thing. And I would say that for college programs, they may themselves have to make their choice. Do you want to be like Kansas City and put a lot of your NIL dollars towards one really good player? Or do you want to be a little bit more like Philadelphia and kind of spread your wealth around a little bit and create a little more roster balance? This, I believe, is going to have to be a choice that more teams make in the future. And I want to show you some interesting words here. There's a guy named Shannon Terry. Shannon is a guy who's famous for starting a lot of the national recruiting websites that you may have read over the course of years. He's kind of, you know, started Rivals and he started 24-7. Now he's working uh, to build a, a website called On3. He's an executive that kind of exists in the college football media space kind of an interesting voice i would say you know and one, he's one of the guys over the course of the last couple of years i would also say that has been the most bullish or among the most bullish voices out there about the future of nil and how important this is going to be for college sports and how good this is going to be for college sports so shannon has been a very pro nil figure but over the course of the last couple of days he had a thread on twitter that got my attention where he spoke in a little bit more realistic terms about what the near future for NIL looks like. And I think this is kind of interesting as a lot of college programs now kind of recalibrate their expectations for how much NIL money they're going to be able to spend and how they're going to use some of that money. Let me read this to you on the screen here. Uh, media executive Shannon Terry says, uh, he says, our team at On3, which is a website, spent the last few weeks traveling and speaking with coaches, administrators, and NIL collectives. Across the board, now listen to this, across the board, collectives and schools are becoming more efficient and staunch in value and boundaries when it comes to NIL. Shannon says that funding is going to be lower than the collective's previously communicated goals. In other words, the collectives thought they're going to be able to raise X amount of dollars, but the truth is they're going to raise far less than that. So therefore, they're going to have to be efficient about how they use this NIL money. He goes on to say, there is no such thing as the term being floated of the infinite salary cap. In other words, Shannon says, there is nobody out there that's got an unlimited amount of money to spend, which is interesting to hear. He says, every collective in school has a pain threshold. He says, we see the majority of the elite programs somewhere in the four to $6 million deployed range over the course of the next 12 months. Those elites originally targeted eight to $10 million. So in other words, what Shannon's saying is, a lot of programs thought they're going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to ten million dollars to spend each year on NIL, but the truth is, it may be more like four or six million dollars. This from a guy who's a very pro NIL figure, and as he says, from talking to coaches and the collectives themselves, everybody seems to be downgrading the level of expectation they have for how much money they're going to be able to spend. Now, what does this mean? To me, it means that once again, you go back to exactly the same kind of comparison we were making a moment ago. You can be the Kansas City Chiefs. You can have your Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, and you can spend big on him. But in an NIL world where you've only got $6 million to go around, that gives you less money to pay other players. Or you can be like a Philadelphia, where you may not spend quite as much on a franchise, face-of-the-program-type quarterback, but you might have a little more resources to devote to other places. I think both can be successful, as you've seen with Kansas City and Philadelphia, but it is a choice 
that every college program is going to have to make in the very near future. All right, before I bring on Connor Riley, we're running a little bit late here. I do want to announce the winner of our Dog Nation cruise, courtesy of Kroger. We've been uh, announcing that, had been uh, pumping that. We had a lot of folks who uh, made their... um, uh they registered for their chance to win and now courtesy of kroger we are happy to announce our kroger cruise giveaway winner and what a great thrill this is i know he's already been notified so sounds like he's thrilled his name is robert rosier i hope i'm pronouncing that correct of thompson georgia robert rosier uh it could be rosier maybe it's rosier uh, maybe it's kind of like Mike Rozier, the former running back. Uh, Robert Rozier of Thompson, Georgia, the winner of our Dog Nation cruise, courtesy of Kroger. I know last night uh, a lot of the folks who are going to be on the Dog Nation cruise had a little bit of a get-together on Zoom to kind of talk about some of that. I hated I couldn't be a part of that, obviously, because of what I've been dealing with. But I know the excitement is building for our Dog Nation cruise. And now Robert, who I believe is going to be bringing his son along with him, and boy, what a great thrill that is for that young man. Uh, but they're going to be a part of our Dog Nation crew. So, Robert, congratulations to you. Big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making all this possible. Great giveaway. Ton of fun right there. You love to see that. Uh, really good stuff here, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. By the way, speaking of Kroger, we're going to talk to Jake Fromm today. Before the show is done, we'll do a Kroger fresh take with him. But for now, on everything going on around UGA, including how the future of NIL kind of impacts what George and every other program is going to be doing, uh, let's have that conversation with right now with Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG here today. Connor, let me bring in what I was just talking about, and you know so much more about the NFL than I do, but when I look at Eagles, when I look at Kansas City, I see a couple of different archetypes. I see franchise quarterback, very expensive. And obviously, if you've got a guy like Mahomes, you want to build your you know, organization around him. I see Jalen Hurts, effective, but much less expensive, a little bit more cost efficient, which allows you to spend money other places. Given the fact that college football is very much an NIL thing now, and uh, you got guys like Shannon Terry saying, hey, the actual money here is a little bit less than some of these collectives thought it was going to be, how you choose to use the NIL money in the future seems to to be a pretty important decision and if you want to have a a big time five-star type quarterback that just gives you less to spend other places but if you want to be a program like georgia's been the last couple of years where you get good quarterback play that's not necessarily the center of your universe because you want to be good everywhere else that these are the kinds of choices that college programs are about to have to make much the same way in a salary cap league nfl teams have for quite some time yeah, just think if every team could have Patrick Mahomes, they'd pay whatever the, the price tag is to pay him. The Eagles would certainly do that. And Jalen Hurts is going to get a lot more expensive. He signs a very pricey deal this offseason. And so the Eagles are going to have to, I think, try and rework the way they go about team building. Uh, you know, yes, there are certain teams out there that want to, you know, try and hit it big with cheap quarterbacks. But the point being, especially in the NFL, with so few capable quarterbacks, if you find a really good one like a Joe Burrow, like a Jalen Hurts that you're able to have for cheap for a few years, that's sort of your window to win a title. And then you have to just hope that when you do come time to pay the quarterback that he's able to elevate the rest of your team like Patrick Mahomes is right now. College football, I just don't think it's that way. I, 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 college football is always going to be a, a sum of the parts more so than an individual quarterback. You know, Caleb Williams, I think, was probably the best quarterback in college football this past season. USC lost three times, and there was not much he could do to sort of elevate that team beyond where he got them this season. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud was great, but there was nothing he could really do to slow down that Georgia offense. 
And, and so I think, you know, while NIL, I, I understand the point you're trying to make and, and the point being out there. At the end of the day, it's not so much about can you get one or two super-duper stars. It's can you amass the most raw amount of talent. That's why Georgia, I believe, is one of the last two national titles. They've done a better job than anyone of obviously landing big-time recruitments, but also identifying guys who fly under the radar a little bit and, and are able to turn them into productive players like a Javon Bullard. Brock Bowers, I think, falls into that category there as well. So I, I see the metaphor there, but I just think at the end of the day, college and NFL are so different that it's hard to even imagine NIL playing a fraction of what the salary cap does in team building at this level. Well, I guess what I'm the, the point that I'm building to here is is that when I look at the future of Georgia, the quarterback spot, I think a lot of folks are wondering, okay, what's it going to be like here moving forward, whether it be because of guys like Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton currently on the roster or the potential that you bring in a guy like Dylan Rayola in the future. I think some Georgia fans wonder, is this program going to evolve and eventually have the college version of Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, whether Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud kind of have been, and I sort of get the impression that's not what George is heading towards, that that whoever the starting quarterback is for Georgia in 2023, whoever the starting quarterback for Georgia is in 2026, that it's probably, to me, likely to feel like what Georgia's felt like the last couple of years, where you get good, effective quarterback play, but the quarterback is not necessarily the face of this program. It's not necessarily the one guy that stands far out ahead of everybody else. It is a player that's in keeping with the other 10 guys in the field and the other, you know, you know, you know, players in the program, that this is not going to be a Kansas city chief style program where the quarterback is necessarily the face of the program, even in kind of the post Stetson Bennett world. Right. Well, even let's go back over the, the past decade. None of Alabama's teams were, were led by the quarterback. Even that 2017 team that won thanks to half from Tua, Jalen Hurst was the quarterback that got them to that point. And, and, and so, you know, I, I think with what we've seen from college football over the last 15 years, you know, yes, you know, there are Kyler Murray's, Baker Mayfield's out there. You can win a lot of games that way, but to win it all, to win a national championship, which Georgia is now very squarely in the business of doing, you need a, a balanced 1-85 through 85 roster. And, and that's what Georgia goes about doing. That's how they go about doing things. Now, obviously, they'll take a Dylan Raiola if he wants to come here, but Dylan Rayola coming to Georgia would require some sacrifice, in my opinion, some sacrifices from yeah. him. And I just don't think we've seen a top-level quarterback willing to do that yet from a recruit standpoint to come to Georgia. And that's not to knock those guys. They you know, have their own goals and careers to look forward to. But you know, even Brock Vandergriff, Brock Vandergriff came to Georgia because he wanted to be closer to home. That's the biggest quarterback recruit Georgia's landed since Justin Fields. And we know how the Justin Fields era worked out at Georgia. Now it went out working really well for Justin Fields. But again, you know, if you're coming to Georgia, you understand that you're making a little bit of a sacrifice. You're not walking on a paved road here. You're going to have to make some, some choices, and it's going to be tough, and there's no guarantee that you're going to end up being a starting quarterback. You know, most, even look at a guy like Carson Beck. Most guys wouldn't wait four years for an opportunity to start. You know, that, that Carson could have potentially gone elsewhere, uh, you know, at other points in his career. And the fact that he's willing to wait, I think, speaks a little bit of Carson. And also the fact that he knows he's going to have to go out there and beat out two really talented quarterbacks in Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandergrift. A lot of guys at this day and age, they're not even waiting two years, especially those elite-level quarterback prospects. So I think when it comes to Georgia, again, they know better than anyone who sort of fits what they want to do. And they understand, again, you're going to play with incredible talent around here, and you're going to have a chance to really impress NFL-level evaluators. But what we've seen from top-level quarterback prospects – 
doesn't necessarily jive with what Georgia wants to do as a team and as a system. Speaking of the Chiefs here for a moment, I thought you had an interesting piece at DogNation.com kind of comparing uh, a vibe around Kansas City to the vibe around Georgia where, you know, Georgia clearly tried to play their disrespect card on the heels of winning the national championship. You know, Kansas City's tried to do some of that there as well. And, Connor, in both cases – I think it's totally fair, and I think it's totally warranted. Now, some of the stuff that Georgia players were saying in the immediate aftermath of the national championship game, the idea they were picked to be 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, that's clearly exaggerated. I don't know of anybody who truly thought that. But prior to the start of the season, where they were not picked to be preseason number one, prior to the Tennessee game in November, where seemingly the entire world lined up against the Vols, uh, you know, there was this thought that somehow Georgia was, you know, inferior compared to what you know a reigning national championship maybe even perceived to be and i think the kansas city dealt with a lot of the same kind of stuff the entire world thought that cincinnati was going to win the afc title game uh the best that i could tell for the most part the entire world sort of lined up around the eagles for the super bowl that in watching the way that kansas city responded to winning the the super bowl it did kind of remind me of georgia and you know it is one of these things where i think after the fact there's this kind of attempt to sort of redefine the narrative to make us all seem more certain of the outcome than we actually were i think both the chiefs and georgia are well within their rights to say we were disrespected uh because i think that in a lot of ways both kind of were i wouldn't say disrespected i would say they were both doubted again you know like the chiefs are in the super bowl and someone has to be an underdog and in, in, in the eagles i thought over the course of the season we're the more complete football team. And, uh, you know, Georgia over the course of the entire season was the best team in college football. But there are moments throughout the year that both can point to being that. A lot of people at the beginning of the year picked the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you know, Georgia, obviously, the Tennessee game, you bring up the fact that, look, I mean, we were there in the preseason. A lot of people were picking either Alabama or Ohio State to win the national championship, and not many were doing so for Georgia. Uh, I you know, disrespect, you know, again, that's an athlete thing where you have to take whatever fuel is given to you and because it is so difficult to get to the top of your proverbial mountain. You know, however corny it might seem or come across, uh, you have to use it to get there, and that's sort of the difference between them and us. And, and I do think that both these teams can point to the fact that they were doubted. But, you know, Travis Kelsey, you had Patrick Mahomes on your team the entire year. You had the best quarterback and the best player every time you step on the field. Travis Kelsey allegedly, you know, trying to tell people he's the greatest tight end of all time. You know, people are saying that. I, I don't really see how that's disrespecting his angle. And, and again, Georgia, you know, look, we've all pointed out and laughed how ridiculous is the idea that they were going to go 7-5 and five this year. But for the guys in those locker rooms, it matters to hear that kind of stuff. And, and the coaches, no doubt, did their job in fueling that and using that motivation as fuel. And it's telling that moments after winning and, and having a chance to celebrate, they chose to sort of call that out and point to it and note that, hey, that's a reason that we got here, the, the public doubt that we had faced by people either picking other teams, saying this team wasn't ready to repeat, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, I think in the case of the Georgia situation, which obviously matters to me far more than the Kansas City situation does, I mean, I think the narrative through line for the season was the idea that George was playing to prove something. I think it felt that way itself, and no matter how exaggerated the claims may have seemed you know, on the field in L.A. against TCU – I think there was an edge this 2022 team had about the way it went about its business that made the feeling around this season far different than it was in 2021, where that obviously just wasn't there because Georgia was trying to prove something. Well, in 2022, I think they were trying to prove something to somebody else, and there was definitely a, a little bit of a nasty edge this 2022 team had that I don't think the 2021 team had. I don't think it necessarily needed, but this 2022 team, from a feeling standpoint, was totally different for me because of that. 
Right. Well, even consider going through the end of the season, you know, well, yes, Georgia went 15-0, and something last year's team didn't accomplish. Uh, they won the SEC, something last, team, last year's team didn't accomplish. They won a national title game 65-7, to something last year's team didn't accomplish. Uh, they won a shootout against a similarly elite team uh, in Ohio State, something last year's team did not accomplish. Uh, we still hear, uh, yeah, well, if Georgia played the 2022 team, if, if you put the 2022 team up against the 2021 team, I, I think the 21 team is a, is a touchdown favorite. They're still hearing that. They're always going to hear that. And uh, the reality is, look, that matters. And I thought Seth and Bennett had some really strong quotes on this prior to the national championship game, talking about the fact that they were doubted. And, and he, look, Seth always a, has a good understanding of the perception out there. And he understands that, like, yes, on a certain level, you know, Georgia operates at a level far higher than the average college football program. But among those elite programs, there was a level of doubt with Georgia that it, that – did not exist at Alabama last year. That did not exist at Ohio State last year. And I, I think because of all that, you saw this team carry through. And really, in that national championship game against TCU, unfortunately for the Horn Frogs, Georgia was just able to take all that anger, doubt, you know, edge that you bring up and take it on at TCU. And I'll say this: I know like TCU was an overmatched opponent. That's fine. They would have beaten Alabama by 35 the way they played that day. They would have beaten Michigan by 35 yeah. the way they played that day. Uh, it, it, the opponent on that game did not matter. Georgia knew that that was a chance to make a statement of all statements. Uh, having beaten Ohio State in a game, I thought at times they played a little tight and maybe felt the pressure a little bit. They knew when they got to the national title game, like, hey, look, last year's team won 14 games. So let's go ahead and make it 15 and make this a further statement about just how great this team is. I got more for Connor Riley. Let me show you this, though, on the screen. Uh, a really cool thing, our friends at Jittery Joe's partnering with UGA to celebrate back-to-back national championships. A lot of you love the commemorative national championship stuff. With this great coffee can from our friends at Jittery Joe's, a great way for you to uh, take advantage of that. Obviously, historic season. Our friends at Jittery Joe's, while supplies last, has have this coffee can there for you to celebrate all that. <laughs> Let me see if I can turn. There you go. Now you can see the way it's supposed to be. Uh, really, really good-looking uh, thing. Celebrating back-to-back national championships also the great coffee from jittery joe's right here inside there as well coming from that great region of the world that makes such great coffee uh, beans from colombia and from nicaragua and guatemala uh right here to make the great jittery joe's coffee that you already know and love and enjoy and in the special commemorative back-to-back national championships can here so you've heard it said before how about them dogs well how about that coffee from our friends at jittery joe's to find out more about this go to jitteryjoes.com that is jitteryjoes.com get your special commemorative back-to-back national champions coffee cans here with the 100 percent arabica bean uh, coffee from our friends at jittery joe's you can enjoy some of that today it is really good stuff all right connor uh before we let you go i am contractually obligated to ask you what's next for todd monken super bowl is over the enemy seemingly in play for 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 both baltimore maybe washington i guess outside chance indianapolis is a head coaching candidate here there as well uh you know, what's next for Todd Munkin? Are these jobs going to get filled? We're not going to hear anything about this. How does all this play out moving forward with Munkin and his, uh, I guess, seeming pursuit of NFL jobs? Yeah, so I don't expect Todd Munkin to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk early about that. I don't believe that's going to come to fruition. They're actually interviewing former Georgia running backs coach and former Georgia running back Thomas Brown for their offensive coordinator job uh, for a second time this week. I believe that takes place today. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts have hired Shane Steich and the Eagles offensive coordinator to be their head coach. Oh, wow. So that is not a place that the enemy wound up going. Uh, yeah, it was announced, I believe, just before you came on today. Uh, so the only opening right now is the Arizona Cardinals, and it's believed that Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, 
uh, is expected to get that job. I would say he's probably the favorite at this point in time. The uh, enemy is the name to watch here. Eric Bieniemy, he's the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Uh, he does not call plays uh, for the Chiefs, but he's a very coveted uh, coach by both the Washington Commanders and the Baltimore Ravens. If he would take either of those jobs, he would have play-calling responsibilities. So that would be why he would make that move in hopes of one day becoming a head coach. And, look, Baltimore is really the only job that has uh, shown an interest in Todd Munkin. They have interviewed, I believe, five guys twice. And so I think, you know, if you're a Georgia fan and you want Todd Munkin to stay around, which just about everybody uh, watching this program does, you are rooting for, I think, Eric Bieniemy to get that Ravens job. Uh, I think that would clear up a lot of the potential, you know, doubt about where Munkin might be and might be going next year. He has not interviewed with Washington yet, at least on the public knowledge side of things. And, and so I, I think if you're a Georgia fan right now and you're interested in keeping Todd Munkin around for another year, I think if Todd Munkin were offered the Ravens job, he would take it, but that has not been the case yet. And, and I think there's a clear interest from both the enemy side and the Ravens side here as well. And the enemy is very clearly going to have options. And because of that, I, I think the enemy is absolutely the biggest name to watch in regards to what happens with Todd Munkin. Uh, really good stuff, Connor. Appreciate that. I want to talk to you about SEC expansion today. We're out of time for now, so I will have to make sure we do that again here soon because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff for George on that. We talked about that on Friday. I want to hear more from you on that too. So we'll do that again in the very near future. Connor, thanks so much for being here today. Appreciate that. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC. Yes, so a couple quick things there. The interesting feeling for me is, and I think that Connor was kind of alluding to this too, if I was a betting person, listen, plenty of my bets turn out to be incorrect, but if I was a betting person, my bet here would be that Munkin's not going to get the Baltimore job, that they seem interested in in a little bit different type of thing here. So so maybe this does just sort of come to an end at some point in time, but I'm frequently wrong, so maybe I'm also wrong about this. Another thing that Connor pointed out is the rise of Thomas Brown, the former Georgia running back, with within these NFL coaching circles. Boy, that's a great thing to see. The former dogs who've made names for themselves in coaching, terrific to see. And Thomas Brown certainly seems to be a rising star in the NFL world here. And uh, I think that's a great thing to see. So congratulations to him for that, as he seems to be in line for getting himself a pretty big job here this offseason. All right, we got Jake Fromm coming up in a moment. A couple of SEC stories to get to there as well. Uh, before that, though, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously last night, a lot of the folks going to be on, on that Dog Nation cruise kind of got together for a little bit of a informal meeting, a, a Zoom call to kind of talk about some of those things. I wish I could have been a part of that because I just wanted to express my um, – excitement about this too i'm so much looking forward to what we're going to be doing on board independence of the seas coming up this april for our dog nation cruise i truly can't wait for it i think it's going to be a great time and i would also encourage you to make this a great time to look at all kinds of opportunities to take royal caribbean cruise vacations here in 2023 as we head towards spring break you think about the summer you think about getting away from the cold weather in the winter something i always recommend there as well well jessica slater is a great travel agent from uh that was really introduced to us by royal caribbean kind of specially selected for us for our royal caribbean cruise vacation needs jessica can help you out on all that my uh we have a cruise coming up some of you know that my wife was on the phone with jessica just the other day kind of helping her out she was helping us out with some with a couple of things and so she's just a really attentive very very good travel agent and i i can't recommend her enough royal caribbean recommends her too so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 also more information about the dog nation cruise which we're kind of getting close to now but all kinds of stuff there as well royaldogs.com that's the website royaldogs.com 
You can find out information about Royal Caribbean, but also the great cruise opportunity, maybe a last-minute chance to sneak in there on board Independence of the Seas this April. I'm not, honestly not sure if we're sold out on that or not. We've got to be closed, but you can maybe find out more about that. Either way, can't wait to be on board Independence of the Seas with all of y'all coming up in April, and I got my own Royal Caribbean cruise coming up there as well, which I am so excited about. All right, before we get Jake from, let me get a couple of SEC stories here real quick. I saw an interview the other day with Chris Del Conte, who is the Texas athletic director on the Paul Feinbaum show. And one of the things that Del Conte talked about was the future of rivalries for Texas now that they're moving the SEC. One of the things he expressed some excitement about renewing the Texas Texas A&M rivalry, which obviously is the kind of thing that should be played. That's one of the good things about conference expansion, broadly speaking, is is it brings a lot of rivalries back into the into play again like this something that should be the case to begin with i think that texas arkansas is a really fun rivalry it seems like they're pretty excited about that there as well but the other thing that del conti said which i thought was really interesting is is when you look at the the texas oklahoma rivalry what we used to call the uh, red river shootout they call it like red river rivalry now wherever it is they called it del conti expressed his i guess belief that that game is going to remain in dallas as many of you are aware uh that's another one of those sort of big famous neutral site games every year that's played at the Texas State Fair. Uh, obviously, that kind of you know res- resonates with us a little bit because Georgia, Florida, for such a long time, has been playing Jacksonville. You've also had Texas A&M, Arkansas, which has been played at Jerry World. We know that's about to come to an end. We know both sides there kind of want to go into a, uh, uh, a, a, a you know a home and home situation there when it comes to Texas A&M, Arkansas. As we said on Friday's show, there is some belief that the uh, future of the Georgia-Florida game there in Jacksonville could be pretty uncertain that you could kind of be heading for pretty big change there. But if Arkansas A&M we know is changing, Georgia-Florida we believe could change, Chris Del Conte letting it be known that if he had his way, Texas-Oklahoma would remain at the state fair. That would remain a neutral side game. So this could be an interesting comparison here in the future. If you know some who are predicting that Georgia-Florida may go to a home-and-home situation, that does happen. That's not necessarily a guarantee that Texas-Oklahoma would do the same thing. It sort of seems like the feeling around that rivalry is is they wouldn't mind kind of keeping that on the basis of a neutral site type deal. So interesting stuff from Del Conte on the Feinbaum show, sort of expressing his belief and I guess his assumption that Texas-Oklahoma is going to remain neutral site there at the Texas State Fair, the old Cotton Bowl Stadium each and every year, while, uh, while maybe a, a rivalry like Georgia-Florida is not destined to remain neutral site there in Jacksonville. So you could see a little bit of a difference there on that. This is not really an SEC story, but I did want to mention this anyway. So a lot of you know that Tommy Reese, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, has left Notre Dame to go to Alabama. In the aftermath of that, Notre Dame has also now been looking for its own new offensive coordinator. And one of the guys they apparently showed some interest in was Andy Ludwig, the uh, offensive coordinator at Utah. But ultimately, it sounds like Notre Dame has kind of balked at the idea of paying a buyout for Ludwig that was somewhere in the neighborhood of two-plus million dollars, whatever else. And I just think that for those of us who kind of live so entrenched in the SEC, I think we sort of forget how different business gets done other places from uh, time to time because in the SEC, there's nobody around here that would blink at all about having to pay a couple million dollars to free up an offensive coordinator if that's what you wanted to do. But in a place like Notre Dame – 
They seem to be a lot more judicious about how they spend money, despite the fact they've got about as much money as anybody does because of all the meteorites deals they've had and things like that. So very interesting to kind of to kind of see that uh, uh, playing out there. Notre Dame having a chance to hire an offensive coordinator, at least seemingly, but maybe balking at the uh, at the need to pay the buyout to do that. And you're just reminded here in this day and age of, you know, finances and money and how it impacts college football that that even of the kind of the moneyed class not everybody sort of views money the same way maybe Notre Dame an example of that it will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean we're gonna try to catch up with Jake Fromm here in just a moment uh, a little bit of an issue there getting him on the phone I'll also take a moment to mention we also have a little bit of an issue, I guess, today on Facebook. So apologize for that. I don't quite know what's going on. I just uh, made aware of that uh, during the show. But so for those of you who normally watch on Facebook, uh, somehow, some way, Big Tech playing a little defense against us. So we'll see if we can figure all of that out. But uh, hopefully you're able to move to another platform for that. With that said, we'll uh, switch over here. We'll get ready to talk now. It's part of a Kroger Fresh Take to the great former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm here on Dog Nation Daily. Always great to have him. Jake, thanks for being with us here today. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Brandon, what's going on? Glad to be here. Out doing a little bit of a throwing session. Oh, nice. Off-season stuff has started, so getting ready and uh, trying to get right. Uh, that's good to hear. I'm happy to hear you out there doing that. Of course, we can't wait to see what the future holds for you, Jake, there in Washington. That's a lot of fun to see. And by the way, speaking of quarterbacks, we just saw the Super Bowl on Sunday. When you see what Patrick Mahomes does when he, you know, you know, battling clearly uh, what was a you know pretty significant ankle sprain type situation, obviously probably dealing with a good bit of pain, and yet once again he kind of you know has this heroic performance, winning for himself a second Super Bowl. I know you're kind of a student of the game. You like following other quarterbacks. You're sort of a fan of the sport. At this point in time, do you think we have to start sort of making room in the conversation of kind of all-time great quarterbacks that Patrick Mahomes is now kind of a part of that? You know, not quite to the Tom Brady level yet, but kind of in the same neighborhood and maybe in comparison to guys like Peyton Manning and maybe guys from when I was growing up, like, say, John Elway, you know, Joe Montana. Are we getting closer to needing to put Patrick Mahomes in a conversation like that? Uh, I mean, for sure. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a, a special football player. He's a great guy, uh, well-respected around the league. And, um, I mean, what he's done on the football field in just the short time of his career is just nothing short of special for sure. Um, you know, winning the, uh, the Super Bowl last night, I mean, it's just – keep adding on uh, to his already kind of miraculous resume. Uh, he's a young player still. Uh, he's got a long, long career ahead of him. So um, he's definitely doing the, the, the right thing uh, to put himself in those conversations. And, um, I mean, I, honestly, it's just going to be fun keeping up and watching his career, um, you know, throughout his his life and um, I mean he, he's definitely going to be right there for sure in the, in the conversation. I'm obviously not a former player so when I watch games like this I'm always curious you know you played Rose Bowl game you know one of the biggest college games anyone can play and you played in a national championship game you know when, you, when you're on the big stage like that like these guys were in the Super Bowl on Sunday does the game feel different or does it I mean obviously every player always tries to say hey we don't make this feel like any other game but when the spotlight is obviously so different and you know this from your college career are you able to make that feel like any other game, or do you have to embrace because of the fact that you know we're playing on a Monday night? You know, you got the big spotlight here, you got all of this. This is just going to feel different than a normal game. And as a player, I just sort of have to be okay with that mentally. How do you approach all of that? Mentally, if you can eliminate all the distractions, all the stuff going around outside of the football game, the the football 
football aspect of the game actually, in my opinion, just gets much simpler. It just, it just it comes down to more fundamentals, more technique, more about taking care of the football. Like if you watch these games, I mean, it's about the turnover battle. It's just a very simple, simplified football game. Um, so, man, it, to me, if, if I can just eliminate those distractions and I can just get to the grass, man, and just play simple football, let loose, let my, let my mind be free, uh, you can really have a lot of fun playing it. Uh, one of the things that's kind of happened since you and I had a chance to talk last is the fact that we now know for sure the SEC is expanding in 2024. Texas and Oklahoma are, are coming into the league, and that's also going to bring about a good bit of change. I guess just sort of uh, big picture speaking here, what is your thought about SEC expansion and you know the, the fact that the SEC is going to look very, very different you know, sooner rather than later? What's been your reaction to a lot of this? Yeah, all I know is it's 2024. Uh, college football season is going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, a lot going on. You know, you got USC, I believe UCLA going over to the Big Ten. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of expansion, um, expansion of the playoff. I mean, it's just going to be a different college football atmosphere um, throughout the course of that season. So that's going to be fun to watch. And hopefully don't, like, skip past, you know, this 2023 season looking ahead because uh, this one's going to be special as well. But, uh, man, there's a lot going on, and, and I really don't even know where to start because uh, it's just going to be all thrown in all at one time, uh, and I think it's going to be pretty hectic. So, uh, Jake, this is coming out right as we are talking here. This is happening here right now, not what I thought we would be discussing. And, you know, frankly, I, I, but Baltimore Ravens have hired Todd Monk, and this is now official. It has happened. This is the official Ravens account here. Yeah, uh, the Ravens have hired Todd Monk, and this happening just a couple of minutes ago. Uh, uh, Jake, oh, hey. in, in, in the last uh, 1050 this morning, so eight minutes ago this happened. So this is something that you and I have talked plenty about. Now it's not a hypothetical. Now it is real. Todd Monk leaving to go to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what do you think about this, Jake? Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, kind of a, a crazy move in my opinion, but – um, I, I know Coach Munkin's going to be happy that he uh, is back in the NFL um, and just, you know, with, with, with the pros and, and that kind of day-to-day schedule and um, getting to compete at the highest level. Uh, but, man, as a, as a Georgia football fan, I, uh, I kind of hate it, honestly, because uh, I, I thought he did some great things here. Um, I thought he was putting together a really good staff and a really good, just a, a, an offensive uh, skill set, scheme, and identity here. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see who Coach Smart can find um, to fill that void. I mean, I know there's a lot of coaches in that quarterback yeah. room. I know Coach Bobo's here. So, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe this comes full circle uh, with Coach Bobo. But, uh, yeah, um, it's definitely going to be interesting for uh, Coach Smart here in the next couple of days. I mean, in the case of Munkin, and you kind of touched on this, some guys just want to be in the NFL, right? I mean, it's obviously a very different league. I think you and I talked about that last week. You know, there isn't the recruiting. There isn't the need to kind of deal with sometimes younger players, which maybe brings a different kind of challenge. You know, the NFL obviously presents its own challenges. But for some people, that's just the preferable league to be in. We've seen college coaches leave and go to the NFL uh, on a more regular basis the last couple of years. And I won't pretend to know what's in Munkin's mind here. But it could be that, you know, he just sort of felt like he had unfinished business in the NFL and this was just the league he wanted to be in. And after bringing two national championships to Georgia, uh, Jake, I'm a big Georgia fan myself, you know, after bringing that level of success here, if this is what Munkin wants, then I don't know that I can necessarily fault him for wanting that. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't fault him. I, I completely understand as a an NFL football player, man, it's, a, it's an exclusive 
club. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, there's only 32 uh, positions, uh, an office of coordinator positions, only 32 head coaches. So, uh, I mean, it's just a, a very tight knit group. It's exclusive. So, I completely understand. And, uh, I mean, you want to compete at the highest level. I mean, how are you going to fault someone for wanting to compete uh, and be their best at the highest level with the best? So, I get it. Um, and then you mentioned the Mike Bobo situation. Obviously, we don't know what Kirby Smart's going to do uh, in terms of making this replacement, but it has been kind of kicked around and discussed. Well, hey, does maybe you know Georgia have a capable replacement because Bobo has been offensive coordinator here before? He's been offensive coordinator two other spots in the SEC. Um, you know how much, you know how well do you know Mike Bobo, and what would you think about the idea that he could be the uh, replacement, sort of weighing in the wings for Todd Munkin here? I mean, in my opinion, he, he would be my front runner, uh, front runner uh, to, to get it. So, um, I mean, he, he's got plenty of experience. He's been the offensive coordinator here before in the past, had a lot of success. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a proven uh, play caller, um, and that's something uh, that really just doesn't – can't be taken for granted as a proven play caller uh, in this day and time across football. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he'd be the guy at the, the top of my head right now. So let me finish with this then, because, you know, a lot of Georgia fans obviously feel like they, you know, know about Bobo because he was, uh, you know, once coordinator here, but, you know, you've had a chance to probably get to know him personally here a bit there as well. What is something about Bobo the average Georgia fan might not know? If he ends up being tabbed, if he ends up being the guy, he certainly, you would imagine, going to be considered here. What is something you've seen from your, you know, close connection that remains with the program about Bobo that the average fan might not be aware of? Yeah, uh, Coach Bobo, um, he's definitely utilized his tight ends in his past. Knows how to use tight ends. Uh, he's great at the play action scheme and passing game. Um, and I, I think, you know, him going off, being a head coach, learning from those experiences, um, being a, a quarterback coach under Todd Munkin, um, being able to kind of use some of that, that scheme that, that Coach Munkin was using. Um, and, and then, you know, being a, a play caller before. Um, and then, I mean, Coach Bob, he also, he loves Georgia, too. I mean, his, his family grew up in the state of Georgia. Um, they, they, they love Georgia, so he's going to want to do and be his best uh, for the university here. So, All right. Uh, Jake, appreciate your thoughts on this. We'll let you get back, throw that football again, and uh, continue doing that workout. Thanks for being here as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here today. Absolutely, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, good stuff there. Kroger Fresh Take, by the way, don't forget when it comes to Valentine's Day, which is today, Kroger's got you covered on all that. Kroger.com slash Valentine's. Get in there and get your last-minute gift card needs, your your greeting cards, candy, stuff for special meal, sweet treats, cupcakes, things like that, all that great stuff to make Valentine's Day special for the significant other in your life, your kids, because gosh knows my kids, they expect Valentine's Day to be like Christmas Junior. <laughs> Some of y'all are, are kind of the same way with that with your own family. Kroger.com slash Valentine's for more on that. And I got to tell you, I am pretty surprised. Now, listen, when I say surprised, I don't mean like, you know, I had no idea what Munkin was going to do, what the Ravens were going to do. But it seemed like he'd gotten a little bit quiet there on that front. Um, you know, there wasn't this huge groundswell of support from Ravens fans for Munkin necessarily. There had been this chatter that, ooh, that they're interested in talking to Eric Bieniemy, and Bieniemy was interested in talking to them. And here we are, what? Two days removed from the Super Bowl, and then boom, Raven just announced that Munkin is hired. He is the guy there. This happening. It is real. It is happening. Uh, it had been long speculated about, and now it is a thing. Todd Munkin, after 
leading Georgia to back-to-back national championships, at least in part leading Georgia to that. He's certainly been a big part of the success here of back-to-back national championships. Going back to the NFL, uh, he had, you know, at one point in time kind of mentioned some regrets about the way that the last stint he had in the league went when he was offensive coordinator and title with the Cleveland Browns but not calling plays there. That was a frustrating situation for him during that year. Um, he's, I think that's been you know, fairly openly uh, reported on. Uh, I think that Munkin has also kind of expressed, going back to some of the press conferences he did around the college football playoff, that he had some you know, personal disappointment about maybe how some of that got handled. And sounds like he wanted another chance in the NFL, and that's what the Baltimore Ravens potentially get for him to work with head coach John Harbaugh. We'll see if Lamar Jackson remains in place there at quarterback. But this is real. It is a thing. Um, Todd Munkin is leaving Georgia, and we'll certainly have plenty to cover as it comes to uh, with all of that about what might be happening next year on that. And when you hear that news, maybe you feel like you need a little bit of a beverage, a little bit of a cocktail. Well, if that be the case, our friends at the Finish Long Drink got you covered on all of that. In fact, you'd even get one of those eight-can variety packs, two different cans of each of the four Finish Long Drink varieties, the Long Drink Strong and half percent alcohol volume, Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar, Long Drink Traditional, the Blue Can, Citrus Flavor, Gin Kick, Long Drink Cranberry, all of that online, thelongdrink.com. You can learn more about the four different uh, Finnish long drink varieties. You can hear more about the great story. You know, started in Helsinki when the summer games were there back in the 1950s. You know, popular in Finland forever, but now here in America for the last couple of years and in Georgia now, too, and pretty much everywhere. And if you put your zip code in there, you can find out where you can pick some up. The Finnish long drink, really good stuff. You'll love it. Uh, try it at thelongdrink.com. So if you're watching on video, we're going to stay here live. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. If you are um, podcast, obviously, we're going to have plenty of coverage on this, too, about where Georgia goes next. You hear pretty forceful endorsement from Jake Fromm there on Mike Bobo. We'll, we'll see you know, how that resonates here in the future. But if you're just joining us live, the Ravens have hired Todd Munkin as offensive coordinator. So let's wrap up the podcast, and we'll sort of figure out where all of this goes from here. Seems a little anticlimactic to do a golden shoe uh, on the heels of all of this, but we'll do one anyway uh, in honor of Valentine's Day. thought this is really funny. I guess the Redcoat Band made these, but uh, someone shared them with me, and so I'll share with you here right now. Uh, Bubba writing to say, uh, Happy Valentine's Day, and sharing this in the Redcoat Band. Uh, very funny, you know, Valentine card like you used to give out in your elementary school class saying, I'll never let you down. It's uh, Jalen Carter holding up Jaden Daniels. That's very funny. The other one says, you must be uh, the national championship trophy because I'm going to take you home. So there you go. Uh, pretty funny stuff. Uh, Bubba sharing that courtesy of our friends at the Redco Band. Really good golden shoe indeed. We started today's show by talking about the lousy stinking Gators. We uh, will uh, finish by talking about them there as well. And remind you that 256 days from right now, Georgia goes back to Jacksonville, beats up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see all of you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily. Actually, not tomorrow because of my grandmother's funeral, but we'll obviously be back this week here on uh, Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then. And the podcast time now, what we normally would call our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down today, a little bit different. Um, a lot of you know two things. A, you know we're not going to have a show tomorrow, but you also know that like right as our recording was ending today, the Todd Munkin to Baltimore, Mike Bobo as the replacement news broke. So we ended up staying on video about that topic for quite some time. Connor Riley actually hopped back on the show. We talked to him again about all of that. Um, and we just kind of sort of, you know, kind of dealt with it in the moment. So what I'm going to do is, because of the fact that I have to be away tomorrow, because 
of my grandmother's funeral. We're actually going to, I'm going to put that up. It's not a podcast. It's just he, he and I talking, but we're going to put it up as a part of the podcast feed. I'll pull it off YouTube and put it up there on the podcast and um, give you a chance to sort of hear that as a replacement for a normal show and um, and a way to react to the news immediately. We'll be back, back live again on Thursday. And so uh, we'll kind of sort of pick up the pieces again on Thursday after that. But for the podcast listener, we'll give you a chance to hear that because that's obviously not a part of today's show because as we were recording all of this, the monk and stuff hadn't happened yet. So just kind of one of the things that when news breaks during the show, it makes the show sound a little weird. So that's the story there on that. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again about that, uh, obviously, tomorrow and in the days to come. Uh, have a great day, and thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia today. And then we will uh, uh, see you all uh, for some version of a recording tomorrow. And then, of course, for a regular show back again on Thursday. Talk to you then, everybody.